Well, let me just say I'm, I'm privileged. I'm honored to be here this morning. Um, we have a treasure in Scott Savage. We have a treasure. Yeah. I've been spending a lot of time traveling to the Northwest in recent um, months. My 98-year-old mother uh, is, is uh, living with my sister, and so I've been traveling back and forth quite a bit, so I don't get here every Sunday. And not too long ago, I was uh, getting on an airplane down in Phoenix, and you've been here, right? <laughs> Staring at these, these uh, folks as uh, you basically undress. You know, you're taking your belt off, you're taking your shoes off, you're emptying your pockets. They even wanted my... M&M's almonds <laughs> in the tray and uh, so I'm, I'm getting all ready I put my shoes in the tray and I'm standing across the the aisle for my tray to just about go through the machine and the fellow in the blue uniform turned to me and he said 75 or older I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I, I knew I, uh, I had gotten a little older, but I, I didn't think that. And, and, I, and, and I was so stunned, I didn't know what to say. In fact, if, I, I always come up with these things afterwards. And afterwards, I thought, you know what I should have said is, no, I, I look like that because I'm a pastor. <laughs> I, uh, I had some friends they used to say I look a little bit like Bruce Willis so if you want to know what Bruce Willis is going to look like when he's 75 <laughs> now if you're 75 or older I'm please I'm not being disrespectful I, I really I, I'm really not um, it's just that who wants to look you know 10 years older than they actually are it was kind of depressing. The book of Ecclesiastes at first glance is a little bit like that. It, it's kind of the, the greatest hits collection of life's most depressing moments. <laughs> and we've seen that in the first couple of chapters, haven't we? But there's more at work than what meets the eye. That's the point. Let me just set a little context again. We've, we've been through two chapters. 29 times in the book, these 12 chapters, we read or we see that Solomon uses the phrase under the sun, life under the sun. He's looking at life in a horizontal plane as if this is all there is. He's looking at life to under, seek to understand if life itself can give us meaning. Life under the sun, as Pastor Tom talked about last week, is it S-U-N or S-O-N? And so he's looking at this life under the sun, and he wants to, uh, from a human perspective, find out. And I think Solomon went on a journey. He went on a journey to, to uh, see if, because he had all the means, he had the money, he had the power, he had uh, the the concubines and wives he had access to everything that you could possibly want on a human level to see if he really could make sense out of life on a horizontal plane under the sun just what we see 
We believe that Solomon wrote the Song of Songs probably in his 20s. No big surprise there, right? He wrote Proverbs, most of them probably in his 40s. He wrote Ecclesiastes in his late 50s. He was born somewhere around 990 B.C. He died in 930, 931 B.C. So do the math. Solomon died at about 61 years of age. So this life under the sun was hard on him. It had taken a toll. And it's reflected in the words that he's written down in this book. So this morning, if you're feeling discouraged, that was chapter 1. And you're feeling disappointed, that was chapter 2. You might be asking yourself, how in the world can I say life is beautiful? Again, there's something more going on here. There's a method to Solomon's madness. And it is simply this truth. That Solomon did not write the book of Ecclesiastes to drive us to despair, but to drive us to God. He's trying to remove every excuse, everything that we chase. He's trying to remove that as a means of saying, I'll make sense out of my life if I have this or I can do that. He's removing those. And that's why it often is so dark. He's building a case that life on, a hor- on the horizontal, with a horizontal per- perspective, will end up leaving you feeling meaningless. And what we need is a vertical perspective. A vertical perspective that lifts our eyes above the horizontal. And when we do, when we have that, we begin to develop this thing called hope. That no matter what I'm going through, and some of you this morning, the thing you need most in your life right now is hope. And hope is, some, is, is a mindset that says, you know what, there's something better coming. I don't know what it is yet, but there's something better on the way. And so this morning, we're going to look at four ways that hope reveals life's beauty. I think you're going to be surprised. Because that beauty is often buried under the confusion and the pain that some of us are feeling, even as we sit here in this room this morning. So let's jump in, or should I say, turn, 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 (laughs) to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 together. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 begins with a series of contrasts. Um, And yet it's as though Solomon has stepped back. If you compare the first 11 verses of chapter 1 and the first 8 verses of chapter 3, you will notice a difference in the tone. Although it's still somber, there is a a sense in which as he writes this chapter, he stepped back, he's taking a deep breath, and he's poetically summarizing the world that he sees. Okay? He, this is the world he sees. And as he does that, he reveals these experiences that are universal tensions in our lives. So we're going to look through these first eight. There's a lot of verses, but we're just going to, I'm going to take a, a real brief look that we can get a glimpse of what he was seeing. 
So let's begin. I'm going to take them one at a time. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. He says there's a time to be born and a time to die. Okay? No big surprise there, right? I'm losing this. No big surprise there. Everything that we know in life has a beginning and an end. It's one of the reasons we have such a hard time with the idea of eternity because we, all we can understand is things that have a beginning and an end. Life happens in sequences, and yet God exists outside of time. And that's why one of the reasons we have such a hard time understanding who he is. A time to plant and a time to pluck up or a time to harvest. He's, he's reminding us that there are seasons that, we, that if we don't plant in a particular season or we don't put the, the seed in the ground, it can't grow. And if we don't pull it out of the ground at the right time, it's going to rot. So there, there's a design, he's saying, to what God or how he's ordered the world. There's a time to kill, verse 3, and a time to heal. And I think his focus here is primarily on animals, that there was a time for slaughter in the, in the making of a life, that they, they would, there was a time to heal the sheep, and there was a time to take their life as a part of the, the process of life. It was just the way things are. And he said, there's a time to break down and a time to build up. Okay? This is the verse that inspired Chip and Joanna Gaines. <laughs> it's why he loves Demo Day, Right? There's a time to tear down. And then there's a time to build up for the show. There are, there are events in life that the timing of it is, is appointed by God. And it's beautiful. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And if I started dancing up here this morning, you would all mourn. <laughs> or weep, or laugh. I'm not sure which. There's a time to tear and a time to sew. The idea of, of, of rending their clothes was, was common in, in terms of bereavement or, or, or you know when they were so upset. And there was a time to restore them. I thought of this the other day when I saw a, a, um, a news feed. Some designer had come up with a... Um, I don't know how to say this. A crop top. You know what a crop top is? You know, it kind of bears the midriff. A crop top for men. Does anybody think this is a good idea? <laughs> hey, Dad, happy Father's Day. We got you a crop top. I, that's an image I can't get out of my head, so I'm just going to move on. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. And you know the difference when you have not said what you should have said or you should have shut up and you didn't. A time to love and a time to hate. To abhor evil and injustice in the world is the only right response to have. A time for war and a time for peace. There's a time to stand up for the things that matter in life, isn't there? And to not stand up and to not fight for what is right is to injure the innocent. 
So Solomon lays out these contrasts, these tensions that we've all experienced in life. And what they demonstrate to us is the first way that we see beauty from hope. And that is hope recognizes God's timing in life. Hope recognizes that timing is so important and that timing can make things beautiful or ugly depending on what they are. Let me just offer two quick observations of those eight things because they they relate to this idea that hope recognizes God's timing. The first is that life is always changing. It never stays static. It almost never turns out the way you think it will. My guess is if I asked you today, is your life turning out the way you thought it would be? You would say, not so much. It almost never is what we think it's going to turn out. There's no autopilot in life. And the older you get, the more you realize, I guess I got to keep learning. Because it, it isn't, it's, it's not getting easier. The second observation is that change is a wellspring of hope. That the the hope that comes that change might bring something different. The coming of spring. The cooling of fall. Fresh starts. New beginnings. There's, There's a wellspring of hope that is related to this idea of change and timing. And God's timing in the world. Think about it. We may not like change. But if we didn't have it, boredom would kill us. We would be so bored. God's hope recognizes God's timing. There is beauty in God's design. That's what he's saying. But even so, life is hard. Look at verse 9. He says, what gain has the worker for his toil? I mean, he's still looking at life and he's saying, yeah, but I still got it. The work is still hard. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. We live in a broken world. Amen? We live in a very broken world. And the damage that sin has wreaked on human life and our environment is staggering. Work was created in Genesis chapter 2 before the fall. So work is not, was never meant to be toil, but when sin entered it, it became toil. It became labor. It became loathsome. A toil that can seem futile where he says, I, what's, what's the point of all this? It can seem endless. And yet, in verse 11, he says, there is beauty even among the ashes, as, a, as you would see a flower that is poking up through an ash-covered ground after a fire. We live our lives a moment at a time. We live each day. God sees every day as the eternal now. 
Think about that. He saw you when you were in your mother's womb, and he sees you as you, at the moment you pass into eternity. And it's all in the eternal now. It's today to him. That's not the way we live life. We live life one day, and then the next day, and then the next day. And each day is, is that moment. It's a, it's a moment to appreciate what God is, who God is and what he's doing. We live out our lives and in, in not only in abundance, but in the mundane. And we know that there's more to life. That's, that's what he's saying. He says, each of these things can be beautiful. We can find beauty in the midst of our toil. Why? Because he has put eternity in their hearts. Did you know that you have eternity in your heart? What does that mean? What does that mean that you have eternity in your heart? I think it has something to do with this idea that no matter how good life is in this world, and men and women, God has given us incredible good gifts. If you've never been outside the country, you need to go outside the country to a third world country and you'll never walk into Safeway again and see it the same. We have been given gifts that are unbelievable, but we we need to see them. And and yet what he's saying is that we have eternity in our hearts so that all these gifts that he gives us are given to enjoy. But you know what happens? They are meant to point us to something beyond The gifts and the enjoyment and the savoring of the goodness of God that we experience today is always intended to be enjoyed in this moment, but to point us to the ultimate fulfillment of that one day beyond the horizontal. He's given us this hunger that says there must be something more. Because I I don't care how much you have in the back of your mind, I wonder if there's something more. I wonder if a little bit more would make me happy. The second way that hope is revealed in life's beauty is that hope rejoices in God's gifts. Hope rejoices in God's gifts. In other words, there is this beauty in the gifts that God gives us. There's hope. Because it points us to beyond. And so he says, so choose joy. Do good. Take pleasure in your toil. Drink and savor the goodness of life. I mean, when you sit down at this banquet, some of us, all we can think of is, do you know how many carbs are in that? (laughs) Forget the carbs! Just enjoy it. Enjoy God's goodness today. Just realize that it's not, it's not intended to be the ultimate fulfillment of life. See, that's the biggest problem we've got in our culture is we're, we're trying to find fulfillment in life in all this stuff. And I like, you know, a blizzard just as much as the, na- the rest of you. But a blizzard is not going to fulfill my life. The taste of a blizzard is to remind me of what's to come down the road. And so in the midst of our toil, he's saying, you can enjoy life. Because ultimately what we're doing in our toil isn't really about 
men. It's about him. There's a story told of, of years ago when they were building the great cathedrals in Europe. Passerby walked down the street and there was two stonemasons sitting in front of this, working in front of this, this great edifice. And he, the passerby turned to the one and he says, what is it that you're doing? And the man looked at him and he said, I'm breaking rocks in the hot sun. Okay. He goes to the other one. He says, what is it you're doing? And he says, I'm building a temple to almighty God. How about you? You breaking rocks? Are you building temples? Because what we bring to our toil is hope that something greater is just beyond that I can't quite see yet. And we have to do that, people. We have to. Because the world we live in will not make sense completely. There will be parts of, of the world that you just will never totally understand. So he says in verse 14, he says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor t- anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. In other words, God is sovereign, and he's demonstrating that so that people would look to him. That which has already been and that which is to be already has been. God is outside of time. And God seeks what has been driven away. In other words, in God's sovereignty, he doesn't leave any loose ends. He's going to bring about his purposes. He's going to accomplish what he intends in the world. He says, but under the sun, moreover, I saw under the sun, verse 16, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked For there is a time for every matter and every work under heaven. The third way hope reveals beauty is that hope remembers that God is both good and just. See, hope is lost and and despair takes our life when we think this is never going to change, that evil is going to win. And Solomon reminds us that no matter what we're staring at, that God is sovereign. He is in control, no matter what it looks like right now. And he will bring about justice. God is in control when it may not look like it. You know, people talk about all the time, they'll, they'll say, if there, is such a, if there is a God, if he's really there, and he's really good... Why doesn't he do something about evil? And they think, they think that, see, I got you now, because you can't de- deny that. The, the, the reality is, though, God has done something about evil. The story is just not finished under the sun. <laughs> On a horizontal level, when we look at life and we think evil is winning... Chaos will reign. Be patient. Because the story isn't done. The beauty of his justice coming in fullness is only a matter of time. 
I get so tired of the visions of the future that I see in television and movies today. The visions of the future are dark. They, 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 they're, they are what philosophers call nihilistic. They, there's no hope. But men and women, the world will not end in vampires and zombies. It is not. And, I, and don't buy it. Don't listen to it. I would say, really monitor what your kids watch because the fact of the matter is it's teaching them what the world is going to be. And that is not what the world is going to be. There is coming a day when justice will prevail. Amen? Amen. And this is what it looks like. Revelation chapter 21. He said, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Can you imagine that? The New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, neither crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, this is, this is from the throne, okay? Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, because he knows we don't remember things real well. <laughs> write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can bet your life on it. And in fact, I am. I hope you are. Hope recognizes God's timing, it rejoices in God's gifts, and it remembers that God is both good and just no matter what I see. So in the meantime, in the time we've got left, here on earth, under the sun, what we need more than anything else are these vertical moments. And they come on a particular day. Sometimes you don't even know when they're going to come. But God shows up or reveals himself and gives you hope in ways you didn't anticipate. Because, again, even as, as, as we're living and we, we hold on to these truths, and it's why they, in the scriptures he says, write it down so you don't forget it. The world we live in still looks pretty bleak. Look at verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them. Kind of an interesting thought to think that all of life is a test right now. We're in the middle of an exam. He's testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts, animals. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust they will return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes up, the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. 
So I saw that there is nothing better that man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Solomon is so honest. He's still looking at, he's looking at life. And he's saying, if you look at life, it doesn't look like that we've got anything over the animals. We might have a larger cranium. But death is 100%. We all die. And so he says, if you're looking at life, life is telling you that this is all there is. I think that's why it's a test. He wants us to, to ponder the reality that says, there must be something more. There's something in my heart that tells me there's something more than this. And will I believe that? Will I trust that? Because what I see tells me otherwise. And that's why we need a vertical perspective. Each day, one day at a time. I need a vertical perspective. I need to God show up. You know, when you, you stand in front of a congregation and, and you have a responsibility to share God's word with people, in your heart you're praying, God, show up. <laughs> Please show up today. But it's the same when we go out to work. He's saying that's what it looks like on a horizontal level. But again... There's more here than meets the eye because he's already said, what? God will judge. God is sovereign. God is good. God gives good gifts. There is something beyond this. Am I going to live my life today in light of that reality or am I going to simply limit it to what I see and taste and touch and feel? We need to live beyond the horizontal. You see, our hearts cry out for more. Our hearts cry out for the, for the substance of which this world is just a shadow. See, the world tells us that we are in the land of the living on our way to the land of the dead. But the word of God tells us that we are in the land of the dying on our way to the land of the living. And that changes everything about how we live and how we look at the, the pain and the struggle in life. We went to the planetarium with some friends recently, and uh, we saw a program on what they call dark matter. And they call it dark matter not because it's evil, but because you can't see it. If you look at space, we've long believed that, and this is according to the astrophysicists, you know, I'm not a rocket science, don't play one on TV. But the, the, the prevailing view has always been that space is this vast emptiness in which, you know, stars, planets, asteroids, are, they're out there. But astrophysicists believe today that the universe that we can see, touch, smell, makes up only 20% of the actual universe. 80% of the universe, they believe, is this stuff called dark matter. It's all around us. Can't see it, can't taste it, can't touch it. They got these big colliders going on in Europe, you know, miles long. They're trying to find these particles. Who says scientists don't have faith? But they believe that this dark matter is what actually holds it all together. 
Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. See, I think this is just a reminder. It's not saying that Jesus is dark matter, okay? That's not what Pastor Mark said today. But what it, what it is saying is that there is something that we don't see that is holding this all together. The fourth way hope reveals God's beauty is that hope relies upon things unseen. It's the nature of faith. It relies upon things unseen. You know, this brings a whole new meaning to that the heavens declare the glory of God. What this tells me is that we worship a God who is so incredible, we can't even conceive of how he is. We don't understand things that don't have a beginning or end. That's God. He's, he's, he gives good gifts. He remembers, we remember that he's good and he's just and that much of what he's doing in the world is unseen. We serve a wondrous, mysterious, sovereign, triune God that we can't fully grasp. His ways are not our ways. And if you don't believe that, and if, and if you're saying, Mark, you're asking me to trust in something that's just too, too much for me to believe in. I've got to understand it. Then I want you to do this little exercise. On your piece of paper, draw a circle. Or in your, in your head, draw a circle. Don't draw it on your head. In your head. <laughs> draw a circle. And in that circle, what I want you to see is that in that circle is all the knowledge of the universe. That represents all the knowledge of the universe in that circle. Now, inside that circle, here's what I want you to do. Draw a circle that represents your knowledge. Maybe a little dot. So what does that tell you? That tells you that there's all this other stuff that is beyond our capacity, our understanding. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Through our outer self is wasting away. Outer self is wasting away. I'm obviously 75 years old. <laughs> our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what's our big idea? Hope it's obvious. The beauty of life is most fully revealed in eternal hope. We find the beauty of life in those Vertical moments of life. Look at your next steps real quick. I want to encourage you today to identify one area of your life where you need a better vertical perspective. Where are you limiting your view of the world to just what is on the horizontal plane? Number two, complete the following statement. I've lost hope when it comes to my... Marriage, job, 
kids, relationships, whatever it is. I've lost hope. And then begin to think of it in terms of these four ways that hope is renewed. I invite you this week, number three, pray this week because of our eternal hope. Today I will choose joy when you have to buy a new septic system for your house. (laughs) I will choose joy. Okay? When I was a young boy, I was 11 years old, I had a black cocker spaniel dog, boy and his dog story, named Restless. I don't know why 11-year-olds name their dogs things, but Restless was what I named my dog. One day I, I noticed that the dog was not walking correctly, and within another day the, the two hind legs were paralyzed. And he was dragging himself around. And it was pathetic, and it it was a mess. And this went on for weeks. And so I began to pray. I asked, God, would you heal my dog? Would you heal my dog? My mother was a nurse. She worked the night shift at the hospital. And back in the days before the opioid crisis, she brought home a vial of medication and a hypodermic needle, and she was going to put the dog to sleep. I went off to school that morning. I didn't know anything about any of this. I went off to school, and my mother, when she came home from work that day, she went down into the basement where the dog was, and the dog was standing up. True story. God was stand, the dog was standing up. That was a vertical moment in my life that has shaped me for the past 55 years. That God wants to reveal himself in the midst of the mess. And when we do, we find hope in those vertical moments. Hope to live. Hope to go on. Because we know who wins in the end. Let's pray. Father, I know that there's, in, in a, a, a congregation like this right now today, that there's a lot of these issues that we, we wrestle with. We've lost hope. We're having a hard time seeing you. Father, I pray that, that today we would look to you, your timing, your gifts, That we would look to you that that you are good and just. That we would look to you for the things that we can't see and that we would trust you because what you've told us is true and trustworthy. Father, may we bet our lives today on that reality so that we might see you and we might find hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.